The normality in our society is that people are disconnected from who they are. The consumer culture and the culture of people influencing each other, it's all part of a culture of disconnection. The reason so many people are suffering physical and mental illness, it all comes from this disconnection from our nature. These so-called mentally ill behaviors, they all serve a function, dealing with the trauma that has not been addressed. Are we aware? Are we conscious? Are we making deliberate choices? Or are we driven by unconscious pain? Which kind of pain would you rather be in? The pain of self-suppression or the pain of losing some attachments? Do you see a divine design within our wounding? There's something about our nature. There's a kind of intelligence in it that wants us to be authentic to ourselves. People need freedom. Freedom politically, freedom economically, freedom socially, freedom from their unconscious emotions so they can be themselves. And that's, I think, the essential endeavor of all the great work that has been done in the world is the desire for freedom. We're going to develop friendships, relationships, and our external reality based off of the inauthentic version of ourselves that we hold on to so dearly, right? And yeah. then coming back into discovering who we are, going through this process, reclaiming our authentic selves. Oftentimes, there will be a crumbling of our world and the relationships yeah. that, that were attached to the inauthentic version of ourselves. That's right. So what words of advice do you have for people that are maybe going through that or will be going through that as they claim more of their authentic self because there is a kind of perceived death of sorts that is happening when you're releasing who you're not. Well, if you start asserting your own true emotions and saying no where there's a no that wants to be said, some people in your life who you've trained to see you in a certain way will not like it. And so we talk about this tension between attachment, you know, belonging, being accepted, and authenticity. As a child, you had no choice. Whenever it came to a tussle between attachment and authenticity, you had to choose the attachment, give up the authenticity. Now, as an adult, if you start choosing authenticity, you say in a marriage, that's really not working for you. And your partner is just not willing to look at themselves in any way at all or to work on, work on it. Well, as you grow and as you change, you become more authentic, they're not going to like it. Now you have a decision to make. Do I still choose the attachment and suppress the authenticity? Or do I choose the authenticity at the risk of losing the attachment? What it comes down to is not whether you're going to be in pain or not, because you are. Which kind of pain would you rather be in? Mm. You want to use the, choose the pain of self-suppression or the choose of the loss of certain attachments? I can almost guarantee it. That as you choose yourself and the authenticity, you'll have new attachments that are a higher level, more respectful, more authentic, more meaningful, more fulfilling. But not right away. In the beginning, there might be an estrangement and alienation. So it's a question of which pain would you rather have? The pain of suppressing yourself? Because believe me, it's going to cause pain. Or the pain of uh, losing some attachments. Mm. That's the choice you have. It's like either you choose pain or you keep letting pain choose you. Well, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Now, eventually that pain will heal. Yeah. But you're going to have to go through that process, mm. which is why so many people are afraid of going through it. Yeah, beautiful. And the awareness, like like you spoke to, that's just so crucial to even begin the process or have the desire to. Yeah. And in Eastern philosophy, there's not a whole lot of talk of creativity from mm -hmm. my perspective. Mm -hmm. And I love the framework you give on how sensitivity is tied to our creativity because mm 
um, creativity is such a big part of why we're here. We are creative beings. We use our life force energy to bring things forth from the unmanifest to the manifest. And oftentimes our sensitivity can be, can be viewed as something that is hindering instead mm-hmm. of a superpower. And so mm-hmm. how do you view the, the relationship between the two? Well, sensitivity is simply a trait that people tend to be born with. Um, it's probably significantly genetically determined. Um, and the more sensitive you are, the word sens- sensitivity itself comes from the Latin word for feeling. For the sensier means to feel. So the more sensitive you are, the more you feel. Now, the more you feel, of course, the more you absorb and, and sense and, 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 and get in tune with the environment, which is what artists do. Poets, artists, actors, creators, of, you know, sculptors, actors, you know, dancers. It's just like they have these antenna out that just pull in energies, you know which really promotes what you call the superpower of creativity. But that same sensitivity also makes them more susceptible to pain. Because the same touch that would be experienced as trivial by somebody less sensitive really might hurt the sensitive person. So when you get sensitivity combined with trauma or stress, you get a lot more need to protect yourself. Hence the high rate of addiction amongst, say, uh, actors and musicians. Because mm. they're the sensitive people, they're hurting more. Yeah. They're more of a need to escape from their addictions. And you get one Hollywood story after another of some big star divulging their addiction and, and you know. Um, so that same sensitive temperament in a supportive, loving environment just becomes a wonderful, creative, leader, um, joyful, intuitive person. But in an unsupportive environment, they become more distorted, more hurt, more defensive. Um, The creativity doesn't go away. But it, the creativity starts to serve the personality. Mm. And so you look at all these great artists and actors and musicians who their creativity was so amazing that it leads them to stardom but on a personal level they're they just die and sometimes literally they die and maybe there's, there's so many examples of it yeah it's like the sensitivity is almost like we would have a piano and from all the way to the end of the, to the top is like the full spectrum. Yeah. The more sensitive we are, the more we have access to within the spectrum of like the human experience. Exactly. Um, so it's a beautiful thing to have access to the full piano, to the full spectrum of our emotions, to this human experience. But I think, you know, that invitation that you're, you're sharing is um, to not have it just serve your personality, but to allow it be an expression from your soul exactly. and not just our conditioning. Exactly. Yeah. In, in the book, we give the example of Aretha Franklin, by the way, who um, there's a wonderful documentary about her where she gives a concert. I think here in, a, here in L.A., maybe, in a church here when she was mm. quite young. And she's just channeling God. I mean, that's the only way you can put it, mm. you know. And that's just coming through her. 
Um, and then she's got this song, song R-E-S-P-C-T, Respect, which is kind of an anthem of the women's movement. And she herself was not respected at all. She was an abused child and an abused woman. She had this great creativity, great creativity, incredible talent. But she was hobbled from being her true self in her personal life. Mm. And I think that contributed to the illness that killed her. The more that you grow on your journey and the vast amount of experience that you've garnered in your life, do you see a divine design within our wounding? For example, nature is obviously intelligent. It doesn't necessarily have to be a higher power and a God and some guy sitting on the clouds, but nature's intelligence is almost in ways it feels like is giving us our wounding so that we can strategically move through what we need to move through to gain true access to ourselves. And so through your gain true access to ourselves. And so through your experience working with so many people on the other side of our challenge is our gift. So how do you feel like the link is there? And do you feel like there is that kind of divine design within our wounding and how it shows up and the purpose it serves? So um, the Greek playwright Aeschylus uh, has in one of his plays the statement that the master Zeus created us so that we have to suffer, suffer into truth. So when you talk about divine design, I, I, I just think, I don't want to go to the question of divinity, but there's something about our nature that um, there's a kind of intelligence in it that wants to wants us to be authentic to ourselves. Mm. Not just us, any creature in the world, a plant, an animal, anything. Um, and there's a wonderful spiritual teacher and psychological theorist called A.H. Almas, uh, A-L-M-A-S, from whom I've learned a lot. And he writes the following. He says, your conflicts, all the difficult things, the problematic situations in your life are not chance or haphazard. They are actually yours. They're specifically yours, designed for you by a part of you that loves you more than anything else. The part of you that loves you more than anything else has created roadblocks to lead you to yourself. You are not going in the right direction unless there's something pricking you on the side saying, telling you, look here, this way. That part of you loves you so much that it doesn't want you to lose the chance. It will go to extreme measures to wake you up. It'll make you suffer greatly if you don't listen. What else can it do? That's its purpose. Mm. Now, this may seem harsh coming from a medical doctor. But physical illness is often an opportunity for people to wake up. Mm. I don't wish it on anybody. I've just seen it function that way. So we have a chapter called Diseases Teacher, a dreadful gift, Diseases Teacher. And I've talked to so many people who told me that the illness was the best thing that ever happened to them. And strangely enough, this is even true when I was working in palliative care administering ministering to dying people and somebody would say to me no not everybody but it would happen on occasion that somebody would say doc i don't know to express this exactly but this disease even though it's killing me is the best thing that ever happened to me because mm. it called me back to myself and i learned what's important in life and what isn't now i don't wish that on anyone yeah but it's certainly true that there's something in our inner intelligence that's going to make us suffer if we stray away from ourselves. 
And so for a lot of people, disease has been a huge wake-up call. And they've used it that way. And when you study these people, they're so much more happier, so much more fulfilled, so much more present um, for whatever remains to them of life than they were before. And many of them will say, I'll never trade this disease for anything. Mm. You know, And some, of course, even recover if they take that process deep enough and if they have the strength and the capacity to do so. But, but they do look upon illness as some kind of a gift. Yeah, it's like the switch between asking why is life treating me this way to yeah. what is life trying to reveal to me? Yeah. And that's just yeah. a powerful reframe and maybe difficult to hear right when you hear the news of a diagnosis or something that yeah. you don't want to you know, wish on somebody. But ultimately, billions of years of evolution have gotten us to this point where the intelligence of nature is so widespread, prevalent, omniscient omnipotent and there's no way around it and we are nature <laughs> well, that's the whole point contrary to the definition of it funny yeah, enough. yeah we are and just to assure you if you came to me with an inflamed uh, wrist i wouldn't begin to talk to you about what stresses in your life and how are you so, I, I, I deal with your inflammation first <laughs> but at some point yeah that inquiry is so helpful to people right you know at the appropriate time right and it might be the only way out, right? Because like if you could go through three rounds of chemotherapy and all th all, the, all the ways and through the medical system for trying to heal a cancer, but until you reconcile what is truly at the root, right? Mm, no, what would I, you wouldn't, say? I wouldn't say that. People are cured of cancer. No, 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 of course. Without doing that work. I'm just saying there are certain cases, right, where, for, for example, unless they heal and reconcile the deeper emotional traumas, yeah. they might not be able to be healed through just Western medicine, right? Would you say that? Well, this is where I make a decision between cure and heal. You can be cured in the sense that the disease will go away. It doesn't mean you're healed. Yeah. Healing means becoming whole. Yeah, yeah. So um, illness can be an opportunity to become whole, to really heal. Mm. Um, and, but, the, but the reality of Western medicine is that it's largely helpless in the face of most chronic conditions. Like we don't know autoimmune conditions like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, whole range of them we can mitigate the symptoms and usually look for deterioration and see that as the prognosis yeah. so um, now when it comes to acute conditions and some cancers western medicine is brilliant and people can be brought back from the brink of death you know or certainly from the brink of debility um, but for most chronic conditions of mind and body we're rather poor at really helping people heal we just don't have the mindset and the capacity to do so yeah whether it's the ignorance or the arrogance like you spoke to earlier yeah yeah <laughs> why is it essential to be vulnerable to heal mm, well it's not that it's essential to be vulnerable to be healed because everybody's vulnerable vulnerable simply it's again it's a latin word it means to wound and vulnerability is the capacity to be wounded. And I assure you, we're all totally vulnerable from conception until death. Mm. There's no such thing as a human being who's not vulnerable. There's just a lot of human beings who don't want to recognize their vulnerability. So to reframe your question, it's yeah. not why is it essential to be vulnerable? We all are. Just to recognize it. Why is it essential to come to terms with it, to accept it? Yeah. Because um, nothing in nature grows without vulnerability. So I give this example in the book. A tree doesn't go where it's hard and thick. 
it goes where it's soft and green and vulnerable. Um, take a crustacean animal like a crab. It can't grow inside its shell. I mean, it's hard, it can't grow. It needs to molt and become very soft and vulnerable. So growth and vulnerability go along together. That's why children are so vulnerable. Mm. You know? And why is it essential? Because only through vulnerability can we grow. And our denial and, or a denial of and escape from our vulnerability keeps us stuck, hardened, keeps us really rigid. We can't grow, we can't heal. And you know, you, you see this in veterans all the time. These, these, these men who are um, programmed into a kind of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Where killing and accepting being killed are just, that's okay, you know? Then they go through their PTSD treatment and they say, oh my God, I'm vulnerable. I can hurt. I can hurt. I can accept those emotions. I don't have to deny them. I don't have to be this tough guy all the time. You know, so that, that, that post-traumatic growth that happens always happens through embracing people's vulnerability. Mm. You know? And then how do you, how do you propose people be the most effective and efficient advocate for healing, right? Because oftentimes as we gain awareness and we start to go on the path of healing within ourselves, we then see all the ways in which the people and circumstances around us are not healed and we can fall into the trap of trying to change people into becoming healed. So, Yeah, yeah well, the first thing is not to be an evangelist. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Almas, who I just quoted, he said once, I think he's the one who said that, um, um, uh, have, protect us from the people that want to save the world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you find yourself filled with evangelic fervor, look a bit deeper inside. Yeah. What is it that you're trying to do by trying to save the world? That's on the one hand. On the other hand, <clears throat> when I was working with severely addicted people in Vancouver, they would say to me very authentically, Doc, if I ever get out of this, I'm going to spend the rest of my life working to make sure that nobody else has to go through this. So there is a, as soon as there's healing and a movement towards wholeness, there's a genuine movement towards wanting to heal others. Yeah. So that should not be dismissed or derided. It should be honored. But the question is, what's driving it? So if it, I'm telling you, whenever there's an evangelical fervor where you need somebody to heal, where you need to heal others, that it's a need, yeah. then you better watch it. Yeah. And you do some more healing yourself. You yeah. Know? So that's the distinction I'd make. Yeah. My friend Peter Crown always says that there's none so self-righteous as the newly converted. <laughs> well, well, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 I'm, and I've been through that a number of times. Yeah. Where there's, a, there's a new insight, new, a new um, um, impression, a new wisdom, you might even say, in a way where you want to inflict it on everybody, you know? Yeah, totally. And, no, and, and nobody can stand it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it is that natural tendency, I guess, or inclination of light to spread light, right? It's yeah. for awareness to spread awareness. And once we have that growth within ourselves, oftentimes we'll probably want to unconsciously enforce that on other people. But then the deeper desire there is to just expand what wants to expand, which is... Healing. Well, take your light analogy. Try pushing light. Can't be done. Yeah. I mean, you can shed it. And, but it, yeah, so... That desire to push it on others is is some unresolved problem that you st still haven't dealt with. Yeah, and you know, again, I've I've been through that. Yeah, 
Powerful. Be the light. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Last couple very quick questions. Yeah. One. What is it like to be 78? Uh, I'm trying to remember. That was three weeks ago. I'm 79. Oh, now. wow. What is it like to be 79? <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> What's it like to be anything? Um, <laughs> so, look, uh, this is a sort of a line I've often evoked. You know, it's, 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 uh, so I'm 79 now. And I wouldn't wish to be as young and stupid as I was when I was 78, you know? <laughs> so I am aware of... Uh, it is possible to grow old, which doesn't mean to get more decrepit. Mm. It means to grow as you're getting old. Mm. It's possible to do that. And I hope just, uh, I, I hope and pray I can stay on that path. Mm. You know, I know that I know more now and I understand more now, accept more now, see more now, can suffer more now than I ever could. So that sense is very co comfortable. On the other hand, I don't swim as fast as I did three years ago or five years ago, you know? So that's something to be accepted. So what's it like? So far, I like it, you know? Um, it's not the 79 aspect that I like. It's just having a bit more access to myself. That's what I like. Mm. What advice do you have for young lads like me who want and see their trajectory of hopefully growing old and being maybe a hundred one day. And up until that point, um, trying to do healing work and transformative work, much like of what you're doing, what advice do you have for individuals like myself that um, are on similar paths and trying to spread the light and awareness? What advice would you have? For myself? Yeah, just reverse your question. What, what advice would you have? My advice, I guess, for myself in that in that position would be to continue to stay true to myself and to unravel the gifts that I feel like have uniquely been given to me. Okay, so my advice is that you don't need my advice. <laughs> <laughs> Great. What for you? What do you feel like for you um, has been your single-handedly biggest lesson in this life? If you had to pick one, when you say to people, "Who do you think you are?" That's a really good question depending on how it's asked, because you're not who you think you are. Mm. If I just know that. Do you feel like you know yourself? Um, I'm getting there. Uh, I, uh, I've often said this, you may have heard it, but I've written my epitaph. Do you know what my epitaph is going to be? Mm. It's going to be carved on my gravestone. <laughs> it's going to say, it was a lot more work than I had anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just ongoing work. That's all it is. Yeah. But that's not a negative thing. No. It's it's a good thing. It's a glorious thing. Yeah. Beautiful. What is the strongest memory you have of your life, if you had to pick one? Strongest memory? What do you mean strongest memory? Strongest emotional attachment, I guess, you have to a memory that sticks out. When you look over Dr. Gabramate's life and you see his history, what stands out as potentially the most impactful memory? I just don't think I can give you an authentic answer to that. Uh, not, nothing... No worries. <laughs> um, but if but if I allow the question to percolate in me, it's, you know, who comes up is my wife. Mm. This is a relationship that I'm in and have been for 55 years. Mm. Uh, that's the strongest emotional resonance. Mm. If you had to put in a succinct way what your, what your wish for humanity is. Oh, freedom. 
People need freedom. They need freedom to be themselves. Freedom. If, if, if I actually did a workshop here in LA, I participated in it maybe five, six years ago. And the theme was, what is your calling? And um, by calling, I didn't mean what profession you choose. What is your, what calls you? Hmm. And when you leave the earth or when you return to the earth, um, what would you have wanted to have contributed? So I really got that my calling is that people are free. And so this book, it's all about liberating people or helping people liberate themselves, put it that way. Freedom politically, freedom economically, freedom socially, freedom um, from their unconscious emotions so they can be themselves. I think that's my desire for human beings is freedom. Mm. You know, and, and that's, I think, the essential endeavor of all the great work that has been done in the world mm. uh, is, is, is the desire for freedom. You certainly are doing that. I know personally within my life and a lot of the people that have been um, students of your work, how much freedom there is on the other side of this gained awareness and everything that we've been talking to today. So your work is very much so doing that. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for coming on today. Thank you for watching. You can get my book, The Myth of Normal, in hardcover, audio, or ebook by clicking the link below in the description. And thanks again. Thanks again.